Welcome to the South Fellowship Church podcast. Here at South Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. What a beautiful prayer. Um, well, welcome, welcome. It's so good to see all of your smiling faces here on this cold uh, Colorado winter day. Uh, if you're new or if you're new-ish, my name is Aaron Bjorken. I'm one of the pastors here. And if that is you, we have a new here table in the lobby just for you. We'd love an opportunity to meet you, get an opportunity to find out if, if, you, if this is the community for you, for you to invest in and for us to invest in you. So I would encourage you to check that out. Hey, if I was a little bit nervous uh, standing up here today, I'm fine now because my daughter, my, my middle daughter, who's homesick this morning alone because my eldest daughter and my wife were up at the high school retreat. I miss all the high schoolers, by the way. Um, uh, she's homesick, and she just texted me like, go for it, Dad. She must be streaming it online. So <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So shout out to you, Piper. Thank you. Um, being human is sort of weird. We humans react to things strangely sometimes. I don't know if it's like a trauma in our past or what, or something triggers us and we react in weird ways. And being this particular human is also very strange. You can just ask my wife. Well, I experienced one of those strange reactions over the past few weeks because uh, several weeks ago, Alex was sort of looking over his preaching schedule and he sort of circled today's date as a date he should probably take a break from preaching. And so he reached out to me. He asked if I'd be willing to preach. I looked at my schedule. Chris was available to lead worship, so on and so forth. Everything aligned. I said, yes, I'm available. And then he cross-checked it with his preaching agenda, and it landed on today's uh, text. He said, oh, great. This is perfect. You love this passage. And he's not wrong. Um, this passage, the Lord's Prayer specifically, is probably the most precious text in all of the scriptures for me. And not only that, uh, the first two verses, which happens to be where we're focusing today's uh, message on, is probably my favorite two verses of the Lord's Prayer. And so you'd think I'd be excited, wouldn't you? And the, this is where the strange part came in. I was excited initially, but as the days proceeded, I was, I was telling Sean, like, uh, uh, I... I just short-circuited. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to study. I was like avoiding it like the plague. And so I just couldn't get myself to engage the topic. And I was doing some self-reflection and I realized maybe it's because I feel inadequate to bring this message because I want 30 more years of preaching experience. I want 30 more years of illustrations. I want 30 more years of wisdom, 30 more years of praying this prayer because I desperately, desperately, desperately want you to love this text as much as I do. And so uh, no pressure. If you don't love this passage at the end of this message as much as I do, I will be devastated. <laughs> My life is over. No, uh, well on that very emotionally charged note, I feel like we should pray for God's mercy upon my soul. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you so, so much for your word. And Jesus, thank you for teaching us to pray. And Spirit, I thank you for dwelling in each one of your children so that we might interact with you in good and beautiful ways. I pray that you would speak your truth today, that I'd be able to set aside and surrender my agenda for this church 
and that your agenda would reign. We give all of this time to you. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, fortunately for me, I don't just get this chance to talk about the Lord's Prayer. I also get the Bread Couch Theology podcast. So if, if I don't convince you now, come back Thursday or on your favorite podcast service, listen to the Red Couch Theology podcast. That's where we talk about the previous week's son, a sermon. We also talk about theological questions. You can submit your questions at redcouchtheology.com. I'd encourage you to go there so that I can continue to try and convince you that this is the bestest of all the, ser- of all the uh, passages in the Bible. There you go, not sermons. Yeah, that would be, yeah, anyway, moving on. So we've been in the Lord's, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount series since last September, and we took a break for Advent, and then we continued, uh, we did a little break also in the first part of the new year, but now two weeks ago, Alex kicked off part two of the Sermon on the Mount, and as as what we've been learning recently is that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's primary teaching about what he thinks humanity should be up to. It's his magnum opus of his teaching. It's the most consolidated example of what he thinks the kingdom is supposed to be about. And then last week, Alex introduced the topic of prayer by teaching this passage that sort of says what we're not supposed to do when we pray. And then Alex also addressed some of the challenges that we face when we try and approach prayer, some of the challenges of shame and these sort of things. Well, today we get to dive into the prayer itself where Jesus says this. So if that's not how you're supposed to pray, then this is how you're supposed to pray. Interestingly, in Luke's account, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, this prayer comes after the disciples actually ask him to teach them, which fascinates me actually. It fascinates me for a couple reasons. The first reason is they lived in a praying culture. They, why did they need Jesus to teach them how to pray? They prayed themselves. They were taught how to pray. They heard prayers in the synagogues. They heard prayers in the temples. They, they lived in a public praying culture. So why did they want Jesus to teach them to pray? Well, here's the reason. Because when they saw Jesus pray, they got the impression that he was doing something different than when they were praying. And when they saw Jesus pray, he was doing something different than the other religious leaders of his day. And they wanted access to that. The other reason I think it's really interesting is this is probably the only example we have in the Gospels where the disciples actually ask him to teach them something, which fascinates me even more because they could have asked him to teach them about some theological dispute issue. They could have asked him to teach about church planting or disciple making or evangelism or missions or whatever, but instead they ask him to teach them to pray. And the reason I think that that's the case is they somehow got this impression that Jesus's prayer life was the secret sauce of his ministry. That's mind boggling to me. You see, Jesus' prayer life was unique, and this prayer is his guide to unlocking prayer for us. So that begs the question, uh, in my mind, if this is Jesus' lesson on prayer, should we pray only this prayer? He says, pray like this. So, So maybe all the other praying we do, we shouldn't be doing that. We should just pray this prayer. Well, we obviously know that that's not the case because Jesus prayed other kinds of prayers. And his followers, who he taught, prayed other kinds of prayers. So why does he say pray like this? And here's what I think is going on. 
The Lord's Prayer teaches us the DNA of his praying. It sort of gives us the ethos, the, so the essence, the heartbeat with which Jesus prayed. And then he says, by the way, you can pray like this too. So, which begs another question. Are we doing it wrong? If there's a right way and a wrong way, am I, am I doing it right? Am I, am I praying correctly? And if I pray incorrectly, does it stop working? What, what do I even mean by working anyway? These are the kinds of questions that I think this prayer is going to start to answer for us over the next several weeks. And I'm really excited to dive into that. So what's the first thing that I notice that Jesus teaches us about how he, what unlocks prayer for a Jesus way of praying? It's this, he says this, if you start in verse nine, this then is how you should pray. In other words, other people might pray differently. Like the hypocrites will pray one way. The other folks might pray. But if you want to pray in a Jesus way, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing I notice is that Jesus' people begin to think and pray communally rather than independently. Jesus' people begin to pray and to think communally rather than independently. And that might, at first you might think, one word, our. He says, our Father. He doesn't say, my Father. He doesn't say, your Father. It's, it's a communal kind of language. And you might think, oh, that's a little bit, you're reading pretty heavily into one word. Well, if you zoom out to the rest of the Lord's Prayer, you'll see it's saturated everywhere. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts and we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a highly communal prayer and there's something that's mysteriously absent. It's me and I and m- me focused. That's what's absent. So, The people of God, when they learn to pray like Jesus do, they learn to pray communally rather than individualistically. William and Hauerwas wrote it this way, there may be religions that come to you through quiet walks in the woods or by sitting quietly in the library with a book or rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal a matter of life in the body, the church. Jesus did not call isolated individuals to follow him. He called a group of disciples. Now, I'm married to a pretty strong introvert, so for you introverts out there, don't let me make you panic here. There is some goodness and there's beauty in uh, solitude and silence, some of the things he mentioned up here. But, in fact, Jesus modeled solitude and silence pretty significantly often in his ministry. But, Solitude and silence and the private spiritual practices of our life are a means to enable us to engage in the larger body of Christ. And so people who want to learn to pray in the Jesus way start to think in church and kingdom larger groups of people rather than just alone. So how do we do this? Well, here's an example of what maybe you could do. Let your concerns lead you to corporate prayers. So whenever you go to pray, 
Maybe you have, it's really natural to have certain things come up, like you have a concern about a financial issue. Well, maybe that financial concern would be a bridge for you to praying a corporate kind of a prayer. Like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm worried about our budget this month, but I know that in your kingdom, there's other people who are also in need. Um, and I also know that your church is coming together and maybe, Lord, would you move in your church and, and meet all of our needs? Or just a bridge way to think more communally. Or someone who's struggling with uh, cancer or something like that. You can just, instead of praying just for them, pray for their family members to come around them. Their family members to come and encourage them. So use your own concerns as a bridge to praying a corporate kind of a prayer. But there's something else I see in this first section of the Lord's Prayer. It's this. He says, our Father. Jesus shares his Father with us. The same access that Jesus has, we have. Isn't that amazing? Our Father in heaven. The same access Jesus has, we have. <laughs> uh, if you struggle with your father growing up and you have some brokenness in that relationship, um, maybe this is, doesn't connect as well for you. And maybe that's one of the challenges you've had when you read the scriptures and you hear about God as Father. Well, let me, let me encourage you maybe in this way. The reason you knew your father was flawed was because in your soul, in who God made you to be, he wrote uh, sort of a template of what a good father should be like. And so the fact that your you said, my father wasn't something, that something was your soul's cry for a heavenly father that does nothing wrong, that speaks perfectly timed words. So our father in heaven is access to that perfect father. Our heavenly father's love is how every father should have loved. And so that void you have in your relationship with your father that void is actually crying out to you that there is a heavenly father able to fill it. But we see something else. This father dwells in heaven. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So one of the big travesties in, uh, I think, in, in Western Christianity is how uh, Hollywood and secular society has commandeered our idea of heaven. If you have this picture in he that heaven is this disembodied uh, spirit place where you're floating around in clouds, that has nothing to do with the New Testament or the Old Testament account of heaven. In fact, the, Judeo the Jewish mindset around heaven was that heaven was a spiritual dimension. It was God is spirit and he dwells in this alternate dimension, but that dimension was among us. It was the air that we breathe. In the Old Testament, it spoke of the skies, the, the atmosphere around us, that this dimension lived there. So it wasn't this picture of distance. So when you say our Father in heaven, if you're picturing this far away God, that's not what the Jewish mind would have thought of. And they also would have pictured the throne room of God. Because whenever they heard about heaven, they, they heard about his utter, complete rule over the heavenly realms. And so, what does heaven mean? Heaven means a near but separate dimension. And heaven means a cosmic throne. And let me tell you, this is such, a, such good news for you because your father is a cosmic king with all resources 
in all of his created order that he can love you with. Our father is strong enough to be what his children need. So the first thing we learned is that if we're gonna pray in a Jesus way kind of prayer, then we're gonna learn to pray more communally than individualistically. We're not gonna start with us, instead we're gonna start thinking of us as part of the whole. But then we also learn that Jesus' people pray to a good and strong father, not a distant and elusive God. Jesus' people pray to a good and strong father, not a distant and elusive God. What else can we learn? What else can we learn about this father and about prayer in the Jesus way? If you go on, he says this, hallowed be your name. So I don't know, when was the last time you used the word hallowed? I, I mean, maybe you prayed this prayer and that's probably the last time you used the word hallowed. So it's not a term we use often. So what in the world does hallowed mean? Well, holy is this idea of separate, other. And so hallowed means to see him, see the Father, see God as separate or other from us. And again, that sounds a little bit mysterious and a little bit abstract, but what it means is like all of the brokenness of this world, all of the destruction in this world, all the weakness, all the frailty of humanity, he is other than that. He is perfect in his nature. He is beautiful. He is powerful. He is hallowed. It has to do with his reputation. And so when we say hallowed be your name, let me reword it the way I pray this prayer. When I pray it often, I say, Lord, may your name be known as good and beautiful and lovely and kind. May people see you as the good father that I see in you. So someone I uh, think does a really good job at this is actually Teresa, our communications director. This is sort of one of the ways that she seems to operate in her role as a communications director. One of the reasons she keeps to do uh, communications for a church is because she has a zeal for the reputation of God in the world and a zeal for the reputation of God's church in the world. And so when she puts out our communications to our street sign or other things, she just, it grieves her heart when the world sees Christians as bigoted and angry and grumpy and judgmental. She wants to see uh, the church known for love, for kindness, for mercy, for self-sacrifice. And so she talks about the church in that way. And then she longs for God to be seen in that way. And so that keeps her coming back. And she keeps coming here and serving South because she has a zeal for the name of God. And so Jesus' people, when they pray in a Jesus kind of way, Jesus' people are zealous for their father's reputation. That requires a few things, though that requires that you get to know this father. You have to know him intimately enough to become zealous for his name. He moves on. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is uh, what we've been talking about a lot of in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is sort of unfolding his vision for the kingdom of God in this particular sermon. 
So if you've been tracking with us throughout this series, you've been seeing glimmers of the kingdom of God. But one of the best definitions I've ever found of the kingdom of God is by Dallas Willard. He says this, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will. In other words, it's where what he wants done is done. (laughs) So we know that there are things that take place in this world that are not aligned with God's heart for the world. We see it when we see pain or destruction or war or violence or abuse. These are not things that are inside of the heart of God. And so the, the kingdom of God is where those things don't take place and instead mercy is shown and these kinds of things. So it's the range of his effective will. His will starts to take greater effect in the world. It expands out. But the Sermon on the Mount is also a beautiful example of some of the teachings of the kingdom. And so I wish, in hindsight, I wish we, instead of spending three or, three or four weeks on this prayer, I wish we could have spent 34 weeks on this prayer because there's so much here. But let me just give you a flyover of some of the principles of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where the marginalized are seen and elevated, where fear and anger don't rule, where humans are no longer, no longer dehumanized, where the strong don't take advantage of the weak, where everyone speaks the truth, where, help, where we help those in need, even when they don't deserve us, where we love the unlovable and the unworthy, where we give not to get but to praise God, where we speak to God as a father and a friend like humans were designed to in the garden. It's where no one has a need, where we don't have to worry about anything, where we don't judge others because we learn the only, that only God is wise enough to do that, where every one of our physical, emotional, relational, psychological needs are met, where, the wise, where we're wise enough to see the lies of the world. It's where we only invest our time in things that are truly meaningful. It's where the... F- First is last, and the last is first. It's where the strong protect and care for the weak. It's where the rich share their wealth with joy from the overflow of their delight in God. It's where disagreements are dealt with humbly and wisely. It's where justice is served perfectly and is satisfied to the wounded, even if it's only through the cross. The kingdom of God is the system of government where Jesus' way wins. So when we pray this prayer, we're saying, Jesus, you win. Your ideas have full rule and full reign in this world. That's what we're praying for when we pray, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Now, if you don't sense the political charge behind that, and you've just remove this to be this spiritual concept. In Jesus' day, this was one of the reasons why he was killed, was because he was advocating for an otherworldly kingdom that doesn't just live in some disembodied space in heaven, but comes and invades this world. This prayer is politically charged. It's highly politically charged. Daryl Johnson said it this way, to pray the Lord's prayer is participate in heaven's invasion of the earth. To pray the Lord's prayer is to, to participate in a revolution of huge proportion. So when we wanna pray like Jesus prayed and have the same power that he had when he prayed, the same intimacy that Jesus had when he prayed to his intimate father, when we wanna experience that kind of prayer, 
the people, Jesus' people pray for God's kingdom to come and for every other kingdom to ultimately fall. It's a revolutionary prayer. But it's a revolution of a king who died to save you, who died for his enemies, who has such great concern for his subjects that he would come near. That's a good kind of takeover. Am I wrong? (laughs) So if you're a student of the Bible, you might be wondering to yourself, what about Romans 12? Well, if you don't know Romans 12, Romans 12 says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, this is true. The kingdom of God has not fully come on the earth. And God continues to use, he, he uses and works in and through his church and through all the systems of the world to gradually bring his kingdom more and more. Now, this is the powerful and beautiful thing about how powerful our God is. God's kingdom can grow no matter what the earthly government is in office. And we know this from church history. We know this because in every single system of government that has ever seen uh, power in the face of this earth, God's kingdom continues to unfold. In fact, strangely enough, probably the kingdom of God and the church has grown more prolifically and more purely under very difficult systems of government than it has when Christianity has greater play within the government. So here's the warning we have. As we ask for the kingdom to come, there's a terrifying risk that we have as followers of Jesus because we might start to replace Jesus' ideas with humans' ideas about how to let the kingdom invade. We naturally, as human beings, say, well, the way the kingdom comes is by getting authority and power and then placing mandates on the world so that they will start to obey the moral and ethical values of the kingdom of God. That is antithetical to the kingdom. That is not the way Jesus did it. He came to this earth and he died so that he could advance his kingdom. His kingdom has always advanced more prolifically and more purely when his people choose the way of the cross, the way of dying to self. And so this is a picture of the church expanding through the early generations after Jesus. And our risk that we run is that we get this idea that yes, we want the kingdom to come, so let's get our person in the office or let's get our authority and our power and then we'll force them to be Christians. We've already done that experiment over and over again through human history and it's horrible for the name of Jesus. That's not the way Jesus operates. Instead, the kingdom grows not by force or political influence, but by dying for our enemies. The weapons of the kingdom of God is self-giving love. This is the weapon that we wield. That is the Jesus way. That is the Jesus way. Desmond Tutu knew this, and he, when he, uh, was, he's the bishop of, of South Africa, and when apartheid started to come apart and uh, blacks in, in South Africa started to rise to power, he fought hard to prevent his own oppressed people from turning into oppressors themselves because he understood the Jesus way. 
He understood that when we rise to power, we can't turn around and then enact justice against the white Africans because we follow the Jesus way. So our kingdom must bow and our wills must die to pray this prayer. This is where it gets a little personal, doesn't it? So when we pray this prayer, behind the surface, it sounds great on the surface, it's poetic, we have it memorized, maybe some of us, but when we say, let your kingdom come, we're also saying, not my kingdom. When we say, let your will be done, we're saying, not my will be done. When we say, your kingdom come, we're saying, not Alex's, not any political leader, not the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party, not Putin, not Ukraine, not China. All of them will one day bow the knee and acknowledge that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is a revolutionary prayer because it debunks my will and your will. So what have we learned so far? We've learned Jesus' people begin to pray and think communally rather than independently. We've learned that Jesus' people pray to a good and strong father, not a distant and elusive God. Jesus' people are zealous for their father's reputation. And Jesus' people pray for God's kingdom to rise and every other kingdom to ultimately fall. This is what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. There's one more line in here and I'll just hit it very briefly because I've already been implying it all over the place throughout the message. He says, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Many might misunderstand this passage and say, okay, this is some future reality. No, this is a prayer that God's kingdom would gradually invade this earth today and in the days to come. And yes, one day, God will return and he will set up his good and perfect kingdom to, to a fuller extent, but this prayer is deeply rooted to this earth. It's fascinating. <laughs> Christianity is a physical faith. God's kingdom is coming to this earth. And I wish I had time for this filming Rutledge quote, but we're gonna move on. Jesus' people pray for and seek the good of all creation. We don't get the liberty. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you don't get the option to say, to grin your teeth and bear it, and then someday I get to get out of this joint to go to heaven, and just this whole thing burns. That's not the attitude of a follower of Jesus. That's, that's not the attitude. Instead, we have to engage the brokenness of this world and seek to renovate it, both the human challenges and the earth challenges that we have before us. This is the prayer. So, how would I summarize all of this? The DNA of Jesus' way prayer is surrender. If this is all you remember from today's message, the DNA of Jesus' way prayer is surrender. So you're going to be signing up to pray for our 24-7 prayer campaign. And since you're going to be signing up for that, you're going to need something to pray while you're uh, in your 30-minute slot that you've signed up for, right? So if, you, if, you're, if you're a visitor, you're off the hook. But if you call yourself a member of South, we'd love for you to participate in 24-7 prayer and sign up for that. What I would encourage you to do is to take this prayer and maybe... Maybe the way I've just described it to you is too terrifying for you to fully uh, take on, but just ask him to help you to, to be willing to let go of your kingdom and your will and to take this prayer and pray it.
So what I haven't answered yet is why is this prayer so deeply personal to me? Let me tell you about my theological walkabout. About six years ago, I was wrestling with faith. I was wrestling with doubt. I was starting to wonder if the faith I knew and the Christianity I knew actually worked in the world. Because uh, I won't get into all the details of why I was struggling with that, but I, I started to wonder, is this thing real? Does, does Christianity work? And it was such a turmoil in my soul. And by the way, I was on staff at church here, so <laughs> sorry about that. Um, <laughs> at the time. But I had some close friends and I was talking with them about this and I, I decided, I prayed a prayer to the Spirit. I remember I was on Broadway and I was driving home and I prayed this prayer. I said, Spirit, if it's your job, one of your jobs to keep me inside of your love, then you're gonna have to do that job because I'm gonna go and explore. And I read all the theologians that I've been told were heretics. I read writers from other religions. I read philosophers and Stoics and I read um, psychologists and I read all these people and I was trying to see if there was a better way of being human that I could find. And over and over and over again, as I proceeded through about this, a year and a half to two year journey of my theological walkabout, I started to notice something that a lot of my theological frameworks were coming by the wayside. They were just falling off of me. But one thing continually rose. And that was the character and the person of Jesus. And the teachings of Jesus were the most compelling, the most beautiful. When I heard him talk about what humanity is supposed to be like, I could not imagine. It wasn't even a close race. I couldn't imagine a better way to be human than the Jesus way. And so then this prayer, when I said, your kingdom come and your will be done, it, was, it resonated with my soul in a way I can't even describe to you. And so you can ask the band. One of our band members actually told me, you've preached on this, right? And I said, I don't think I have. I, it's just because I talk about it all the time. I want his kingdom, Jesus' way to win. And so we're gonna sing this song. It's newer to South, but I wanna read these lyrics to you because I want this song to become an anthem for this community and it sort of embodies what uh, we long for if you wanna pray in a Jesus kind of a way. But I wanna read these lyrics to you. If you would stand with me. This is the first verse. I'm not gonna read the whole song, but it says, if you curse me, then I will bless you. That's a Jesus way. If you hurt me, I will forgive. And if you hate me, then I will love you. I choose the Jesus way. If you're helpless, I will defend you. And if you're burdened, I'll share the weight. And if you're hopeless, then let me show you there's hope in the Jesus way. I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. He wore my sin. I will gladly wear his name. He is the treasure. He is the answer. So I choose the Jesus way. If you can possibly stomach to say that, let's sing that together. If you've been touched by this ministry and you want that to spread to others, you might consider partnering with us financially. You can give online at southfellowship.org give. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.